Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about virtual production and digital production. Our second hour is uh, usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to talk about our our setups, <laughs> how they look and how we actually do this. It all looks like we're just sitting in a room with a little camera, with our web camera, um, and, uh, and maybe our, just our laptop. But Sometimes we might have a little bit more gear. So we'll show you a little bit about that and talk through it and answer your questions about that in the second hour. Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Bill, what do we have? First one comes from Tom Ferguson in Phoenix, Arizona this morning, and he starts his question. No model, no camera, no studio, no problem. Deep Agency will produce the photo studio services with AI technology, staffing and facility overhead cost solves. Where's everybody's thoughts? Go ahead, John. Very timely of you, Tom, because Jonas just showed me this yesterday. And this interface, I think, is a foreshadowing of the future because although it's got a prompt, it's got all of the switch selections on the side of the interface. And I think that's what you're going to see from Adobe as well. So in the style of what camera, what, you know, shutter speed, all that stuff is built into the, in the GUI. This is a really interesting app. We'll play with it more. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I don't know about the uh, backup behind this. It's one guy in the Netherlands, Danny Postmo, who's running this thing. So, And I haven't seen the prices yet, but, but one of the frequently asked questions on the website is, why are your prices so high? So maybe it's not very economically priced, but I guess compared to uh, hiring a model and doing the photography, it's much cheaper than all of that. I, I, but you wonder about how uh, what the security the security of your photos that you upload that they use to train and create these models. Yeah, the the uh, uh, the price is not very high. I mean, for anybody who's actually doing this for a job, it's nothing. Uh, go ahead, uh, Jesse. Uh, the price is, I believe, twenty nine dollars a month, which is incredibly low if you hire models. Uh, the big the big thing on my mind is that everyone who works in modeling knows that part of the job interview is uh, show us your socials, and I would love to see the socials of these virtual models and if they justify the hire. Go ahead, Jonas. So Jesse brings up an interesting point. Um, they do actually have social, some of them. Uh, they started promoting them on social media and just creating all the Instagram and Facebook images and posts with ChatGPT and that uh, deep agency. What's really interesting is we're seeing a shift right now from having AI that inspires you and like just does random stuff and brings everything together. Every single frame that you do is different to trying a lot of consistency, like getting the same person over and over again, which is really the great thing that they achieved and which is why for why they needed so much training to get a model that allows you to create the same person over and over again in different scenarios. Yeah, and, I, and the whole thing about social, I mean, sometimes you want that, but a lot of times you're doing stock. The, the, what this is really competing with is not like known known uh, entities. It's really stock, you know, stock photography. I can get the same actor to be doing lots of different, in a lot of different positions and poses and doing this and doing that and sitting somewhere else and sitting, you know, it, that's, wow, just super valuable. Go ahead, Tom. So here we are at the beginning of AI. So many models who are going to be out of work. Just think, isn't that awful? Uh, Bill? Yeah, I'm not sure. Because the thing for me when I'm taking photography, particularly when we're working with models or even headshots for corporate, it's such a fiddly little thing. You're taking a softbox, moving it four inches just to change the shape of a shadow cast by a nose or something like that. I, I'm not quite sure I can understand how they can virtualize all the things that I would want as a photographer. If they can, more power to them. I'm just a little skeptical. 
You know, I think that the thing is, is that there is there is a business that's still not going to be on. Again, the, right now, when I look at AI, I don't see anything that's going to be. I don't see things that are going to disrupt the top ten percent of wh- whoever is in that in that group. It's the nine, the other ninety percent that has a, has an issue for stock photography. One of the big things is is that we. Uh, there's so many things that we do that are just, I just need a bunch, I need 20 heads that don't look the same to put into a Zoom example, like, or I need to, you know, to do these kinds of things. That's what we forget is that, and that's like 90% of what I buy stock photography for is, is just to put in for, you know, reference or examples for clients. And I've spent a lot more than $30 on every image just to do that. So this is gold, you know, for a lot of those things. Um, next question. Next one comes from Douglas Carmichael, and he says, I've just purchased an Apple TV 4K as my 41st birthday present. Congratulations. Happy birthday. And have fallen in love with it. What production-related applications have you found for the Apple TV? Uh, Sorry. Uh, Go ahead, uh, Alexander. Yeah, so one of the things you can do, I know Guy Cochran, one of our panelists, have talked about this before, but if you're in the NDI world or thinking about getting into NDI, there's this Yeno Monitor app, which allows you to bring in NDI, which is incredibly useful. It's about a $100 application, so probably well worth it if you're in that world. The other thing you can do, of course, is uh, you can also airplay video content from your iOS devices to your Apple TV and then pipe that into your production too. So there's a lot of good uses for it. And uh, go ahead, Tom. Yes, plugging the Apple TV into the ATEM is very handy because then you can bring in all those iOS devices. Jason? Uh, yeah, Alexander nailed it. My favorite app is AirPlay. Uh, Jonas? Lyrix uh, Viewer. It's the um, counterpart to Lyrics Broadcast, allows you to receive a lot of different uh, streaming formats. Works great to get a local high quality SRT feed. So like your multi-viewer from the cloud. Now, can you use Larix Viewer directly from a Larix broadcaster? Do you need the server in the middle? Um, you could use it directly. You do need to have it be accessible then. And you set one up as listener and then the other one as caller. If you have a server in between, you can set up both of both as caller. And that way you don't need to have the network worked out between the two. But if it's local, you can totally just use it. Right, yeah. Also, you know, of course... Uh, there's a variety of things like Sienna and other things that, that you can put on there as well as I would download the Dolby apps. They're pretty good. Um, they, they show you examples. If, you, if you're putting it into a Atmos or Vision system, there's good ways to test your system. So I would, I would take a look at those as well. Uh, next question. Comes to us from Zach Phillips in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Zach says, I know there is an FTP hack for getting files off a drive connected to an ATEM. But is there a similar hack for the video assist or the hyperdeck or both? To be clear, this is about getting files off the recorders without physically touching them. Go, Jonas. The same feature exists on the hyperdecks. And uh, actually, Blackmagic just released an update that I'm uh, probably going to talk later about a little bit more. And they are now also a web browser, and they have the FTP link right in the app, and you can secure it now with a proper password and username. Good, Jonas. You mean Jason? Uh, yeah, Jonas nailed it. I have nothing to add. Next question. Next question comes to us from Sunny Newfield in Winnipeg, Canada. Have you looked at the newest line of Roland video switchers, such as the V160HD and the V120HD? What do you think of them for what you do? Go ahead, Courtney. Well, they look uh, pretty comprehensive for, for you know, maybe for the price. That's what it looks like. It's got audio and video. And one thing that's really nice, if you look at the back of it, it's got SDI, 
and HDMI inputs. It's got a scaler on four of the HDMI inputs and it's got frame synchronizer on everything else. Uh, And it has XLR audio inputs and outputs, which is cool, and headphone outputs and network and seems to have everything but the kitchen sink there on the back. Uh, They're priced around $5,250. And they have a built-in monitor, a little little, uh, four-inch monitor on the front surface of it which is handy if you're not if you're stuck somewhere and just want to set up quickly and don't want to get out a big monitor to hook everything up to monitor it so it looks interesting go to alexander yeah that's a good one uh the the newest switcher which i you know i wish i had deeper pockets for and i just got a demo in person is the vr 120 hd I believe it's retailing for $64.95 right now. Um, so it has more of uh, a lot more HDMI and SDMI inputs and outputs. Uh, it has um, a very flexible routing solution. I mean, you can take any source and route it to any HDMI or SDMI, uh, sorry, SDI source. Uh, and uh, it, it, you know, Roland's really good with, uh, with audio. I mean, they have a long history with that. So the preamps are really solid. Build quality, I mean, you pick this thing up, it is a solid metal box. Everything is absolutely solid feeling. So, I mean, Roland's known for that. They've been doing this stuff for a long time. It's just, you know, in comparison, when you compare it to the Blackmagic stuff, it's it's quite a bit more expensive. But you do get what you pay for. The only nitpick I have with these things is that I wish the screen had an option where you could have it uh, tilt towards you. But um, even at an angle standing up looking down at it, I found that the, the resolution and the brightness of the screen was good. So they're good. Go ahead, John. Overpriced. That's it. <laughs> uh, ne- next question. Next question comes from Bo Cordell in Charleston, South Carolina. I'd like to learn more about ChatGPT cr- prompt crafting. What resources do you recommend? I don't know if I watch anything specific on, on YouTube uh, to do it, but I do browse a lot of YouTube stuff to, to look at it. And most of it is kind of BS. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't use that word. But anyway, it's just kind of it's kind of like they make stuff up and, and, and all of that stuff is there. But uh, yeah, go ahead, John. Prompt, prompt engineering is dying. This will soon be integrated into all the Microsoft applications, and they they'll they'll do a good job of integrating this in. So your prompt skills will will diminish. Just get in there and start typing. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Courtney. There's a guy, um, <clears throat> Matt, runs FutureTools.io, and he's got a lot of uh, a lot of instructional uh, videos on YouTube. Uh, if you go to FutureTools.io, <clears throat> you'll see. Excuse me. He has a whole lot of uh, uh, I. I AI, excuse me, I'm dyslexic this morning. AI tools that you can uh, use. And so uh, look for futuretools.io. And Matt has a lot of videos up on how to craft uh, craft prompts and even how to use a chat GPT to craft prompts for mid journey automating. Yeah, the, what I will say is that I, I think the prompts are going to die, but I think that we probably got another year of playing with them to, to you know, see what they're going to do. And I think that. Um, what I do is I have ChatGPT Plus. I think it's worth the the, the membership to have it. And um, so I have ChatGPT Plus. I have it opened on this screen over here, and I ch- I chat with it all the time. <laughs> like like do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I'm constantly watching how it responds. And what I think is interesting, the most interesting thing I have is telling it who it is. So you say you are this. Answer me this way. You know. So if you say give me ten questions about something. Uh, it'll give me 10 questions about something. But if I say, give me 10 questions as a 10-year-old, it'll give me a different set of questions. Give me 10 questions as a 
as an expert, I get 10 different questions. Give me 10 questions as a teacher testing their students, and I get 10 other questions. And so that you, you know, what I found the most interesting about ChatGPT is telling it what its reference point is. And you can even tell it, give me 10 questions about this as if you were Steve Jobs, you know, or as if you were this. But the that has been the most important thing I learned with ChatGPT is to give it a point of reference from which it's coming. And um, and then that changes it. And all that stuff that people talk about, about it sounds all the same, is because you're not giving it a point of reference. You know, when you give it that point of reference, it suddenly jumps into um, the mode that you want it to be in. Uh, next question. Next question comes to us from Guy Cochran in Seattle in the USA. What is new in HyperDeck 8.3? I'll go ahead, Jonas. So Blackmagic just released 8.3 for the two 8K HyperDecks and the HyperDeck Shuttle. And it has full packed with features. One of the really cool things that you already have seen is they now have a web view to upload. So uh, just go to its URL and then you can upload to um, any physically attached devices to the HyperDeck Shuttle. You can just click upload, you can create folder, download your recordings and delete them. The other thing is they finally added, um, are going a big step in more securing uh, your playout devices. So there is now a username and password that you can enable um, for the HTTP interface. They also enable you to upload an SSL interface. And then the other really interesting thing that I found is if I go to my HyperDeck, you can now, um, if you go to the storage tab in setup, can now also add network devices. So this will now find my uh, Blackmagic Cloud Pod. I select it, it connects to it and shows me all the SSDs that are connected to my Cloud Pod. If it would be a cloud store with internal um, storage, then you would just see that. And now I can select that. And now if I go back, I have Media 2 and it would be allows me to playback and record <clears throat> from the remote uh, network storage. Um, the only thing that doesn't work is you can't use the web interface management for that. But what's also really cool is if you have a cloud pod that is fully integrated, you just open it up, open the SSD, and they now are also writing growing files. So if I do a record, you can uh, put an app, um, XF file into the media pool, and then you have a growing file within Resolve. Um, the refreshing of that doesn't fully work yet. That might just be uh, how my system is set up right now, but they made a big advance in that. Um, yeah, it's interesting what all that's going to be adding. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, there's a question for Jonas. Did they add the missing thing that Playout B has is mark, mark ins and mark outs or bookmarks within a file so that you can uh, top and tail files that you've recorded or that are in there without having to take them out to an external editor? Version 8.3 does not add a UI way to do that. Yes. There's not, they do have that, like if you build a playlist through the HyperDeck protocol, you could do that, but that's not in this update. And the update only is for the HyperDeck shuttle and two 8Ks right now. Next question. Next one comes to us from Jack Cannon in Phoenix, Arizona. And Jack says, saw a new HyperDeck update dropped yesterday. Are people excited for the new update? And does this have any impact on Playout B? Go ahead, Jonas. So the good news is they kept the protocol the same. That's just a new command. Um, you can now authenticate your session. Uh, Player B doesn't support that fully yet. 
Um, the ATEM doesn't even support it. You can't input your username and password into it yet. Um, but the protocol still works the same and still is working with the current ATEMs. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how many uh, smaller TV shows that use Hyperdex are getting taken over accidentally because they think it's now a great idea to put their Hyperdex on the network to allow remote producers to upload files, especially with the SSL and the password. There probably is going to be a lot of false sense of security with that. <laughs> Next question. Bo Cordell, Charleston, South Carolina, back again. Does Zoom provide an API to get metrics for meetings? Let's say I wanted to build a live dashboard that showed uh, the number of participants and the clients with connection issues and things like that. Go ahead, Jonas. Yes, if you have a um, business or app account that has the dashboard, there's a QoS metric that you can get. The QoS is about one to five minutes delayed for issues and metrics on the connections of the connected people. But there's also, um, depending if you're in a meeting or in a webinar, don't know if there's any of these metrics for Zoom events. If you're in a meeting or webinar, there's different uh, API endpoints you can use to get uh, how many people are in, how many people have left, um, and other stats about those. Um, they are now also live available. Next question. Next one comes to us from Jonas Dettel in uh, Stuttgart, Germany. Picking up on the deep agency, uh, has someone seen this video by Corridor Digital? He's got a link there. I think it shows really well how AI and creatives can work together. Go ahead, Jonas. Well, what's really interesting with this video is um, it's they produced an animated video that was normally it's super hard to create because you have to draw in a reframe. But what they did is they shot it all in real life. They then trained their own AI model on it. So they now had um, an AI model that was trained to the specific art style of drawings that they wanted. And what was really amazing and the same thing that they were able, that Deep Agency is able to do, they got it so stable that they just fed all the different images in, all the different frames. And it's a really great end product because it doesn't have flickers. It's almost the same, the same lighting. They use some VFX tricks like deflickering and resolve to remove some of the last uh, little lighting flickers. But it's really amazing to see how they can leverage the AI to create something fairly cheap that normally is like months of work to draw all of those frames. Yeah, it it's really amazing. I would highly recommend it. In general, I will say that Corridor Digital is something we did in a show with them years ago, and I you know just really impressed with the the guys that were doing it. This is when they were just getting started and. And uh, and I have watched them ever since, and they're just they're brilliant, a brilliant team that is just always thinking about. They're they're kind of in that mix between a um, you know built up yourself kind of self done with higher end tools. They keep on adding higher end tools, but they never go all the way to we're just going to shoot with high end tools and bring in cranes and do all the other things. They're all it's a little bit more gorilla, and and I think that they. They do it really, really well. So I would highly recommend. I subscribe. I mean, I'm subscribed to their thing, and I watch it. I watch everything that they come that they bring out, and it's really, really um, watching how they're pushing the envelope with this is 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 pretty interesting. A lot of it re reminds me of um, what they're doing. Reminds me of what you you could possibly do with the movie Boyhood. I don't know if anyone saw Boyhood, but Boyhood was I think it was Boyhood. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was um, it was a Richard Linkletter um, movie. But it was all Rodoed with Keanu Reeves. Doesn't remember what that that one was. Um, uh, Roto. 
a scanner darkly scanner darkly sorry so what when i thought when i saw what corridor digitally a corridor digital did i immediately thought of, of obviously not the name of scanner darkly but that movie pic, that pictured i was like i wonder what they would have done with that because that's what they did they shot everything in uh they shot everything and then they rotoscoped it and added all these effects and everything else and you could do something now now where you could shoot these movies and people who like um you, you know like that style did not enjoy the quarter digital version we enjoy it as non you know anime slash manga you know <laughs> users um the the, fo the folks that are aficionados found it to be uh up upsetting um you know but but i think that the reality is is that you are going to see the ability one what i saw there was the ability to do something without a lot of you could go out with your iphone and shoot a film um, without all the production value and everything else, and then go back and rebuild it in, into some kind of cartoon, will it compete with the thing that is done by hand at the top level? Probably not. Is it a good Saturday morning cartoon uh, or or something that's, um, you know, uh, something you can throw on YouTube? Absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, you could absolutely build compelling content that way. Go ahead, Jesse. Just a little bit more shine to Corridor Digital. A lot of the uh, how-to-make-film YouTube channels are YouTubers first and filmmakers second. And I always felt like Corridor Digital, was they were filmmakers first who, who opted into a YouTube lifestyle. Yeah, and go back to some of their earlier stuff. Some of their earlier stuff where they like visualize like real-life Minecraft and, um, you know, games and Mario and everything else are just genius, genius writing that's written for the online audience, like written for a, a, an audience that isn't something somewhere else. It's for them. It's not like a Hollywood person trying to think about how people would think about Minecraft, but really just they really played to that. And that's maybe a decade old, but hilarious and really, really well done. So definitely dig deep into the Corridor Digital uh, channel. Next question. Next question comes to us from Alexander Knight in Vancouver, BC. Following up on my issue with Instagram not allowing me to invite a collaborator on a post, I figured it out. The guest had a flag on their account because of a previous post breaking the content rules, and it had not been resolved. Uh -oh. Alexander, can you uh, elaborate? Yeah, well, this has been driving me crazy, but uh, yeah, the the guests, they sent me a screenshot. Now, they've already submitted and done two follow-ups, apparently. It's hard to get a human being over there, but basically, it was a content takedown, and it says here from Instagram, your content can't be recommended in places like Explore Reels and Feed Recommendations, learn more about content takedowns, and then you can di disagree with the decision, which he did, and that was February 28th, and then I think he sent one more follow-up, so who knows if it'll ever be resolved, but uh, we'll, ne we'll never be able to uh, collaborate until that's that's resolved. Yeah, the... I think the thing that the, one of the lessons for creators in general with these platforms is there's a lot of people creating content. There's a lot for them to deal with. And if you step out of the line and do things that are inappropriate on the platform, it's very easy for them to kick you out. They don't really have a lot of tools to bring you back in because they don't really care about you anymore. <laughs> like, like, just so you know, like you're, you're just trouble and they don't have a lot of tools. They don't have a lot of services. They don't have a lot of stuff. This is with all the platforms because who cares? You broke the rules. As far as they're concerned, you know, you're, you know, we'll get, we'll get to you when we, when we, when we have time. But as soon as you step that out, you know, so you really want to look at what the rules of engagement are and you can produce plenty of good content without breaking those rules. And so people who are just um, basically, I would say, unmanaged um, and, you know, and don't understand that they can just do everything they need to do without breaking those rules. 
um, generally, uh, it is, you know, once you break the rules, they don't, they don't really care about you anymore, you know, unless you're really, really big. You can be, uh, you know, if you have millions and millions of followers, you can get their attention. But if you've got a handful of followers and you break the rules, good luck. You know, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to pick up the phone for you. So just, just always keep that in mind. Go ahead, Alexander. Yeah, everything you said is absolutely spot on. I will say, and my guest has complained about this, and I know my, I, we ran into this with my client's podcast too, and I hear this a lot from content creators. They don't know what they did. And this client or this, this guest that we had on has looked at that video that he made that got taken down, and he has no idea why. And I know they have made mistakes before. I've submitted rebuttals, and I've had content reinstated, so they do make mistakes. They do make mistakes, but I, I would say that the mistakes, there are definitely places where they make mistakes and they, and they pick the wrong things. But I will say that the vast majority of folks, I mean, I've gotten strikes in the early days on test, test accounts. I totally know what I did. <laughs> you know, so, so I can look at it and say, oh, I know what I, I know what I did there to get in trouble. And so, uh, so I think that, um, I, I, I think when you think about it from a very cold, like why would, why would an account look like this? Now, there are times when people pick on your account, you know, for a variety of reasons. And that's the one where it's, and, and again, unfortunately, it's hard to get that fixed as well. We've had people in this group have enormous numbers of trouble because they're, uh, because of, you know, xenophobic and all kinds of other things of them attacking their, their system. So the, the system is not perfect by any means, but I think that 99% of the time you can avoid it by just really thinking about your content and not stepping over lines that don't need to be stepped over. Next question. Next question comes from some Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. Is Microsoft Defender enough in itself to protect a PC? Go ahead, Courtney. Well, if you're a normal cognizant computer user and don't click on strange things and emails that are sent to you by strange people, uh, yeah, it's perfectly good. I First thing I do on all my new computers is I remove the Norton Defender or McAfee uh, free one-month trial virus detection stuff and get rid of all that, uninstall it, and then and Defender will come back in. And it works perfectly fine for uh, virus checking, and it checks your, checks your computer on a regular basis and reports anything that shows up. I haven't had any problem with it. Uh, I think Leo Laporte recommends using Defender on Windows instead of any of the others. So it works fine, and it's free. Go ahead, Jonas. Uh, Jason. For some reason, Jason is Jonas in my head today. At, you uh, know Jason. what? It's all good. I'll take mm. the compliment. Um, <laughs> so, okay. More importantly than what an antivirus does, it's important to understand what it doesn't do. Okay? An antivirus will never stop you from getting a virus. You, you got to understand that. Like, that's not its purpose. Its purpose is it's got a big dictionary definition. It looks at all these things. And when it does a scan, it looks at, you know, a different directory structure. Oh, well, if you've got, you know, this over here and that over there, well, you probably have um, this infection and it will follow these, you know, mitigation practices to get rid of it. That is not the same as preventing a virus. So, there's no substitute for good judgment, and um, if you don't understand that, then you're going to get infected over and over again. Quick reminder that, of course, you can add more questions at any time, so go ahead and throw questions in. For the, we got a great uh, panel today, and so if you've got questions about in the first hour about the uh, about general anything around media and uh, virtual production, and if you also have uh, if you have questions about our studio, probably won't have any for the second hour until we get there. But uh, but keep in mind you can throw those questions in and make sure to vote on the questions. We are or we generally ask all answer all these questions in order the order that they were voted on. <laughs> so uh, it does make a difference for you to uh, vote on the questions and let us know what you want to hear next. All right, next question. 
It comes to us from Tony Nachampasek in Dallas, and he says, I'm getting lots of feedback when setting up multiple lavaliers in a room. What's your process for ringing out a room properly? Go ahead, Jesse. I'm assuming when you say feedback, you mean that these lavaliers are then being amplified and put through a PA system. Um, the first thing we would do is try to remove any lavaliers from our system. We always try to do that when we're doing a live amplified event. Um, if you can't remove the lavaliers from your system, make sure that they are behind the monitors, that the monitors are facing the audience and that the lavalier is far behind those speakers. Um, finally, make sure that you're using unidirectional lavaliers that are put as close to the person's, uh, you know, throat and mouth area as possible. If your lavalier is down at the belly area, uh, you're just going to be inviting a lot of room noise by doing that because you have to amplify everything up along with their voice. Go, Courtney. And remember, if you're miking several people with lavaliers in one room, even if they're not coming over a PA, is you only want to keep the the uh, microphone full volume for the person who's speaking and take everybody else down uh, so that you're not getting that person who's speaking's voice coming in from the other people's lavaliers, which will open it up and make it sound like a really echoey room. So, of course, the um, Dan Dukin auto mix is a great thing for uh, putting in line there to to do that automatically for you. You have to be a very attentive mixer to and see everybody in the room that's just about to speak to control the mix manually. But a good auto mix can handle that for you and it'll reduce the echoey sounding by not keeping the lavaliers up except for the person who's speaking at the time. I'm not sure I've done any show without Dugan Auto Mix in the last, I mean, with, with more than two people in the last, 10 years, <laughs> at least. It's just like, I don't even consider it a, a production option to not have it. Go ahead, Chris. Bill? Was Bill first? Oh, Bill, sorry. Oh, all right. Um, uh, so a lavalier is not a lavalier is not a lavalier, which is to say that they're all a little bit different in their performance characteristics. I used to carry both uh, Sony ECM-77Bs and also ECM-44s. Why? Because the 77s were very transparent. They were really nice for cutting against something like a high-end boom mic. The 44s weren't as transparent and weren't as sensitive, which meant that if I got in a situation where a feedback was an issue and I had to use a lavalier, I'd reach for the 44 rather than the 77. So make sure the mic is appropriate for what you're doing. Go ahead, Chris. A real um, a real audio engineer, there's a million different things th that you can do. Um, it may very well be, Tony, that um, it's worth going outside and finding somebody who does this all the time. Um, <clears throat> uh, years ago, I, I helped a friend of mine Actually, he didn't need it. I needed to do it. Um, draw a flow chart of how he mixes lavs on a stage. And it was fascinating. It was this super deep dive. And I it's when I realized there is an absolute difference between like a broadcast audio engineer and somebody who, you know, pushes up SM58s at their church. The um, yeah, so I mean, as far as going back to the question, the you know, I think that the main thing is is that as as I think was stated before, cardioids are are definitely something that make a big difference as far as how that how that actually looks. Um, I use a I use a lot of WL one eighty fives. These are Shures. Um, they look like big capsules, and, and they tend to be unidirectional. The big problem with them is if someone tacks them to the side, uh, they are. Uh, super directional and people fall off really, really quickly. Um, and so, um, so that is, so you really, the, the 185s are great. Auto mixing will add a lot to that. Speaker placement, of course, you want 
the, I mean, the main thing is, is the plane of the speaker. You need those mics. You want to try to have to keep those mics behind the plane of the speaker so that the speaker isn't going directly into them. Of course, for feedback, you can um, create the feedback and then notch it so that you can try to get through that. So that sometimes will make a difference there. Um, but I, you know, I find that the notching is not nearly as effective as getting the right mics and speaker placement um, and the room treatment. So when the treatment is, when the room is very live, uh, it, you want to, that's a lot harder than if you have a good room to work with. So think about those things. And a lot of times you go into a room that isn't treated and it's not like you can put stuff up on the walls, but we use pipe and drape. So we pipe and drape around, around the outer edges and it dampens the whole room. And what you want to think about when you do pipe and drape is fullness. What is the fullness of the room, uh, fullness of the pipe and drape? hundred percent fullness means it's, you're using twice as much uh, a drape as you as as the distance you're covering. So you use a ten foot drape for a five foot move is a hundred percent fullness, and then it goes down to zero, which is that it pulled taut. Pulled taut doesn't help you. Hundred percent fullness or fifty percent fullness helps a lot. It creates all these cavities. Now that's not just using thin pipe and drape. That's using velvet or duvetyn or something that's thicker that's going to you know suck up a lot of that sound. And, and we use that pretty uh, pretty heavily. Um, to make that happen. So uh, hopefully that helps you a little bit with with what you're working on. Next question. Next question comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. I tried watching The Office Hours Quiet Theater on my Apple TV streamed from my 2017 MacBook Pro over an 802.11 AC Wi-Fi, and it was rather laggy compared to streaming it from my M2 Pro Mac Mini on Ethernet. Could it be my aging MacBook Pro, a Wi-Fi congestion, or a combination? Good, Jason. Yes, it's most likely both or either. If I was watching on, on Apple TV, I would just go to the YouTube. Um, you know, I think the YouTube is going to play out perfectly uh, all the time. So that, that, that's the direction I would go there. Uh, next question. Next question comes to us again from Douglas Carmichael. Jonas, I noticed a drive named Blade 15 SSD on your Windows desktop. Is that a Razer laptop? What have your experiences been with them? I've heard their support and service leaves much to be desired. Go, Jonas. I bought it and never had to uh, work with any support or any issues. So it has been totally fine to me. Uh, I know that there are some issues with them, but uh, I just use them as a really simple laptop. Works fine for me. I have to admit my last my last uh, laptop, PC laptop was a Razer, and it just one day just stopped working. <laughs> just literally just turned off. And you cook no... the power supplies just right. Ooh. You can kill them exactly like that. Anyway, it was just, it was, and that was my last PC laptop. Um, next question. Bo Cordell in Charleston, South Carolina, back again with what are the legal or licensing ramifications if I wanted to create an NFT project based on AI artwork from something like Midjourney? Go, John. 95% of the NFTs I've seen lately in the last year have been all, have been all, uh, generative art, as long as you don't violate, specifically violate somebody's trademark, like Coca-Cola or somebody, you'll be fine. You're good. Yes. Jesse. Um, two caveats. First of all, not a lawyer. And second, we are entering the golden age of AI litigation. So everything I'm about to say could change and nothing I'm going to say is legal advice. But if you go to the, um, mid journey, uh, what do they call them? The terms of service or whatever. You own all the assets you create with this service to the extent possible under current law. That under current law is, you know, the golden ticket out of whatever might change in the next couple of years. You do own the stuff you create with Midjourney for now, uh, and you're free to use it how you like. Next question. Roscoe Jones, Madison, Indiana, up next. And Roscoe says, hypothetical question. Um, if Office Hours was banned from YouTube... How would it reach its audience? 
we just build our own CDN. I mean, we wouldn't build our own CDN. We would we would work with some, with a CDN and, and stream it straight. I mean, at the number the, the current numbers of viewers that we have, it wouldn't be a big deal for us to do that. It'd be slightly inconvenient for a week um, for us to do that, and we'd have to have some we'd have some nominal costs that we'd have to figure out. Um, but we were also able to do this in in Zoom for a long time without YouTube, <laughs> so so we could go back to that if we wanted to. Um, so uh, you know the the I don't I'm not. I wouldn't be that concerned. I also am not that concerned about getting kicked off of YouTube, mostly because um, I I play so so down the middle of this. <laughs> I, I stay so far away from the edge uh, that it would be very unlikely that that would happen. But but we would have other avenues to go out if we if we needed to. You were going to say something, Jonas? I was about to say Zoom. Like, yeah, we could just yeah, yeah we could do it with Zoom. We if we want to keep on doing the higher end things that we're doing, and we're building. You know, we're really excited about what we can do with YouTube. So we're continuing to build that out. We're also um, going to be testing um, separate a separate CDN in the near future. I want to finish the YouTube stuff and make it great before we start adding more variables. But, um, you know, I am looking at Atmos and Vision, want to experiment with that as well. I don't think that, I think there'll be 10 people watching that version, you know, of, of that. It'll be, um, but it's going to be something that we use because we want to experiment with where we hope YouTube will go somewhere in the future. But we're super happy with uh, YouTube now, and again, we play pretty safe. Um, you know, and I just prefer it as content. Like I, I think of the content that we build. I want to make sure that I don't feel like if I was playing it out loud that my kids that I would I feel uncomfortable that my kids were listening to it. That's kind of my rule of all social media that I create is that I, you know, I just don't feel like I need to do that um, to to. Um, to, to make it any any edgier um, and just it's not what we're doing so I think it would be it, again it would be unlikely but but we are really taking full advantage of YouTube as well you're going to see an NAB we're going to be taking advantage of shorts we're going to be taking advantage of regular content you're going to take advantage of the live content we're going to be playing with you know all those things and I think that YouTube right now is the best platform to do that on so we'll be careful <laughs> but but again I'm not not too worried about it uh, next question. Next one comes from Guy Cochran in Seattle. Has anyone found a new use for the Rosh dashboard after seeing it shown here? Go ahead, Jonas. Yeah, so uh, Cherek Tucker and I have been working on using it with vMix and all the different production tools that we use. So this is, for example, a dashboard that Cherek built. It's based on an API to vMix. Um, one of the cool things is we can pull in a vmix multi-view and then we have all the buttons we can have sliders we can start stop record um i also have a couple screenshots from uh Chirac. we have these uh, drawers that you can pull out so you can change the stream settings and all those type of settings without giving someone access to the actual vmix system which is really great because now we can separate like hey you're just managing uh what goes out to the stream instead of all the different things you can we got it dynamic so it uh, connects to a specific vmix instance um it has been really great and especially like ross talk and all the openness of uh that system has been really easy to implement for us and like you can control a hyperdeck with it that's something that i did uh you can just send tcp commands so that you can trigger uh, even companion buttons by either sending rostar commands or straight tcp commands um it has really been a lot of fun next question Steve Stryker in Tampa, Florida is up next, and he says, I've just deployed a Mac Mini, or he says a Mini Mac, a 10 gigabit Ethernet, 512 gigabit SSD storage, 16 gigabytes of unified memory, and four Thunderbolt ports with HDMI. I have two LG32 4K monitors. Any downside to have having one of them on USB and one of them on HDMI? Go, Jesse. 
Uh, that's the configuration. I use not the same monitors, but the downside is that you are out one USB port. Go, Jason. There really shouldn't be, um, unless for some reason you're you're using an application that for some reason needs to jam lock a monitor, um, only one monitor. And the way around that would be, um, you, um, let me think, OWC makes a, um, a Thunderbolt to two out HDMI and also a display port. And what that'll do is jam lock it on the same chipset. I've used them in every possible configuration and I've yet to get one to even fail um, for, for even a second. Like, you know, without ever unplugging a MacBook, I basically plugged in every monitor I had in every configuration um, right when they came out and it worked perfectly. Next question. Next question, Sean Pickery in Loughborough, Loughborough, UK. Why is Bill's audio and video so much more out of sync than everyone else's? What's the difference in his setup compared to others? Most are not as noticeable. Yeah, we've been trying to figure this out for a while. <laughs> yeah, that might have been more of a second hour question, but 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 yeah, it it is something that we're 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 trying to solve there. What what computer are you using, Bill? What year and what? This is a uh, 2019 MacBook yeah. Pro, probably fully configured with all sorts of graphic cards and stuff like that. I'm, I have a sneaking suspicion. The last thing I load every morning is Discord, and it's been taking a long time to load. Mm. So I'm wondering if it's putting memory pressure on things, because it seems like I'm pretty in sync before I launch that. After I launch that, maybe not so much. It's weird. It's weird. I know. I, 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 yeah, I don't. I don't know. I haven't been on less than an M1 for a long time now, so I'm not sure what that what that might be doing to an Intel. Um, so that might be part of it. But yeah, it's it's very. Odd if it's driving out. everybody nuts, send me five bucks and I'll get a new computer. I just bought one for the voice booth, so right. my my playtime money fund for computers is a little low right now. <laughs> my wife only allows me a certain amount of my voiceover work to, to right. rev things. <laughs> Go ahead, Courtney. I just had an idea. You know, they have this uh, software now that you can run on uh, any Zoom meeting that will automatically fix your eye contact and and put it in the right right down the lens <laughs> in real time. What about if it just fixes your sync? Just takes a little moving mouth and slides that back I, and forth and puts it back in sync using AI. That would I be actually think that it, I, I'm trying to think of how hard it would be for Zoom to actually have in the audio setting a delay. You know, it's not that. I just don't know how much processing that would take, but but being able to do audio delay in Zoom would be well, the useful. problem is it creeps on Bill. It, it slides, mm -hmm. so it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So progressively, so it's a, a mismatch, a mismatch in sample rate somewhere. Yeah, but uh, so it's not a consistent offset. So even if you set a delay, it would still drift. Yeah, we'll keep on we'll keep on working on it. Uh, next question. Keep. Poking at it. Yeah. Samuel Nordvik in Norway says, Jonas, when uh, using the Ronin Raveneye on the RS2 for streaming, where did you mount the HDMI splitter? I tried to mount it off of the gimbal and extend it with a generic USB-C cable, but it didn't work. Go ahead, Jonas. So, yeah, when I use the Raveneye, I use it with this camera. It's a BGH-1, which has an HDMI output and an SDI output. So what is happening is we use the HDMI output and loop that into the Raveneye. And then the SDI output with a really flexible SDI cable down the gimbal and then just goes into our video production pipeline that way. Um, and that worked really well. If you want to split it, you can... Um, split it. One thing to keep in mind with the Ronin, it doesn't use USB for its connections. It's 
a form of CAN bus or uh, S bus, depending on what model you have. So there might be some implications with just replacing the cable. Um, so I would just keep it close, keep it there, and you should be fine. Go, J- uh, Jason. I have the same rig, and I have never had any luck trying to split anything whatsoever. Um, that that anytime DJI wants HDMI directly to the camera, if it doesn't get it, things get weird. And can you explain a little bit, Jonas, about what the Raven Eye does? So the Raven Eye is an add-on for the RS2 or for the um, DJI Ronin type gimbals. It allows you to input an HDMI and then on the app, you have a little uh, target area that you can draw. And then it will follow that person with the gimbal movements. So if you use your gimbal as a PD set, what you do is you set that all up and we use it for the back in the back of the church. And then the preachers in the front, you tap them once it locks onto them and just moves them from left to right and follows them really nicely. It's a really smooth motion. And since it is uh, working over HDMI, it works with every camera. Some of the um, higher end Panasonics do actually work without requiring the Raven eye or an HDMI connection because they figured out that they can use the, um, that the tracking of the focus is so good that I could just use that. So they use that to track it and it's, it's a really great solution. Next question. Next question comes to us from Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York. Morning, guys. How would you achieve a Dugan Auto Mix using an M332R? Any recommendations? Thanks. I think that the, the M2, M32R has uh, eight channels of Dugan Auto Mix built into it. So I believe that there's a Dugan Mix for eight, up to eight channels. I know it is on the X32s. So the X32s have Dugan. Um, they, <laughs> there was a back and forth with Behringer. Behringer tried to made the mistake of saying uh, Dugan-like auto-mixing. Uh, rather, you know, they had an auto-mixer. The, the, the patents have run out on, on the Dugan mix. And so they built, they rebuilt them an auto-mix. Um, and uh, oh, Mickey lets us know that M2, M32s, why would an M32 not have a Dugan auto-mix when an X32 does? That's weird. It, it, does, it has an auto-mix, not a Dugan auto-mix. Okay, so. so got it. So they don't want to pay, they don't want to pay for the license on the M32. So they're, so what they, what happened was there was a, little back and forth <laughs> um uh the uh is that they called it the dugan like automix and of course that didn't make dan very excited about the whole thing and so they did pay for some licensing for it and some of the mixers obviously they didn't pay it for for it for this it's an automix that's probably similar to the dan dan dugan automix i don't know if it's exactly the same it's probably i don't know most people would assume that it's less because it doesn't have his name on it i don't know if that's the case or not um, but the uh, but it, there is an auto mix there. You can get an outboard Dugan auto mix. The way Dugan used to work was you'd have inserts and you'd go out to a Dugan auto mixer. It's like a little box, and you'd put eight inserts out, and then you'd have eight inserts come back in, and it would it would mix it for the same price. Uh, you can get a box that does Dante auto mixing up to sixty four channels of uh, of auto mix. So you send Dante out to the box. It's it's expensive. I mean the Dugan auto mix is like I don't know six grand or four grand or something. I don't remember what it is anymore, but um, but the interesting thing is that the boxes are the same. The 64-channel Dante is the same as the 8-channel insert. And I asked Dan about that, and he just said, well, they cost the same amount to make. <laughs> he's not, he's, there's no reason to charge more. So I thought that was great. Anyway, um, so you can get outboard ones as well that will do that processing for you. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, many governments are creating open data portals, and they encourage app development and analytics and or reporting using said data sets. Would PostgreSQL 
be a useful engine for said applications? And where are some good front-end development tutorials? I don't have enough information. <laughs> that one's, yeah, go ahead, Jonas. It depends. So when we talk about open data, they are often in a really weird particular format that was needed for the old program that uses it. Like in Germany, there's one open data set that allows you to get the locations of a house anywhere in Germany that is in like some weird archaic format that's not computer readable. So one of the problems you would have with Postgres is if it's not built with an SQL schema in mind will be really hard to bring it there. And most often those are not live databases. These are dumps of data that you can download and then do what you want with it. But it's not like a live database that you connect to and can make updates and all that. So Postgres wouldn't be a, the tool that you use for that. And then you also just have data lakes or open data that is being shared that way. And then something like SQL really couldn't handle with that. Next question. Next question coming to us from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. If I strip audio out of a movie, that would uh, would that be fair use? Shower scene frenzy, Dixie and Gone with the Wind, pivotal dangerous moments in video games, sharp stalking and attacking in Jaws? Go ahead, Jesse. Again, not a lawyer, not legal advice. Um, what you're using isn't quite as important as how you're using it. So if you're using it for educational purposes, then uh, fair use can be justified. If you're using it as reference for parody, maybe you could squeeze it in there. But it's, it's not what you're pulling, it's what you're using it for. Um, and if you're concerned about pulling, what I recommend you do is uh, swing on over to Wikipedia, where they have um, just a list of everything that is in all, all the movies that are in the public domain. And you'll find that there's a lot of really good stuff out there that you can pull from and use more liberally than stuff that is under copyright right now. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, fair use does allow for uh, educational use and analysis. So if you're analyzing those for a, for a uh, class or something, you can use it. The problem with uh, fair use is uh, you have to defend it in court. So anybody can sue you over something that is perfectly within fair use, but you have to present that to a judge uh, to settle the lawsuit, and that's going to cost you a lot of money. So uh, bear that in mind. If somebody with deep pockets wants to go ahead and bring a suit against you, even though it is in fair use, you're still going to have to defend it and get the case dismissed uh, after you show that it is uh, comes under the guidelines of fair use. And attorneys, copyright attorneys especially, are quite expensive. So bear that in mind. And YouTube, the other problem is YouTube will take stuff down just to avoid that conflict. Uh, so even though it is fair use, uh, if YouTube sees uh, images, even without the soundtrack that it recognizes or in its recognizable copyright database, uh, it'll take you off. Good, Bill. Courtney's exactly right. And this is a risk management issue for me. And I, I would imagine for everybody who's in business, seriously, uh, the chances of you getting sued may be small, but do you want to risk it? And do you want to risk it on behalf of the corporate clients who are hiring you to do things? My answer has always been no. And I try to stay easily within the law. If you want to understand uh, fair use really well, Stanford University has a fair use database. So just look for Stanford EDU fair use and you will find it. And they've translated the actual law into really clear, plain English. And you can read through what is allowed, what isn't allowed, what the precedents are and how it actually functions. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see over the next couple of years what happens with copyright. Uh, Disney has lost a lot of its uh, 
shine when it comes to the Congress. And um, they've been basically driving the copyright laws for about the last 50 years. <laughs> so, so the, uh, and without that, without that leverage that Disney has to keep on extending the copyright, uh, we're starting to see things edge out. There's not a lot of interest in writing any new laws, and there's actually some discussion about pulling the ones back that are there. So you should start to see older things. We've already started to see those from, I think, the 30s now, um, and we'll start approaching the 40s. And it gets really interesting when we get into the 50s and 60s um, so as we move forward. And if they shorten oh boy. It, there's discussion of shortening to 50 years that's floating around right now, which would open everything before 1973. So it's, it's, uh, it's that they're, you know, that's what they're threatening. <laughs> so, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael wonders, could Ross, da Ross dashboard be a replacement for universe in the OH 2.5 architecture? Go ahead, Jonas. It could, but one of the features that we're leveraging with uh, universe that Ross dashboard doesn't have as easily is the e the easy access through a web browser. So that isn't a thing that Ross Dashboard has in an extended way as Universe. So probably not really feasible for this type of environment, but for a lot of facility control and cloud control, it probably makes also sense. Yeah, the, there are two things there. One is is that absolutely, I think that the web the web browser is the web interface is very important to what we're doing. The other thing is you'll find that I I have a tendency to use the same things over and over again until they're broken. You know, like until I can't get to where I need to go. Um, I'm not a zigzagger, <laughs> so I don't go. Oh, I can I could try this. I could try this. I could try this. I like I have something that's working, and until it's no longer working. And and I can't get it fixed by the developer. I won't. I will tend not to move anywhere. Um, you know, I'm the kind of person who goes to the same restaurant all the time because I know I'll get better service if I do it every. If, if I'm a regular <laughs> regular person, so uh, you know, so um, so I I think that the chances of us changing from our current stack to something else, we took a long time to think about that stack and put it together, and we probably wouldn't change it for a long time unless uh, again unless we hit roadblocks that we just simply can't can't solve. Um, next question. Chris Fenwick here on the panel from Emeryville, California. It's not really a question. If I was one third my current age and half as smart as Jonas, I feel like I could take over the world. Does anyone else agree with me? He's wicked smart. <laughs> Go ahead, Gordon. That's, that's definitely a question. No, I, 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 I concur. Wicked I smart. agree. <laughs> Except that in my case, it'd be, have to be uh, one quarter my current age. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Jonas can't be too smart. He's hanging out with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, welcome. It's good to have you on the panel, Jonas. You bring a lot of value. So we're really happy to have you here. Hopefully you'll come back on Fridays and answer some more questions. Uh, next question. Paul Terry Wallace up next from Austin, Texas. Remember Gowalla? Well, they're back and it looks like they've moved from Austin to St. Helena, California. Did you even know about this social media app? It was kind of big back in the day. And will you use it? Gowalla. I think that I think that it was kind of big, I think is the key. The kind of is, is the thing. Cause I've actually, you know, I spent a lot of time doing this. And I've never heard of it before. So it's, it was, it was an idea. Uh, next question. Steve Podmore looks like in London says, hi, does anyone have recommendations on the best PTZ pan tilt zoom cameras to use in a studio environment or general observations about them? I go ahead, Jonas. I mean, if we're talking about the best, you will probably either go with a custom hat with a camera, a cinema grade camera or an FR7, um, which is a new Sony PT set. But uh, one thing to keep in mind when uh, shopping for PT sets in a studio environment, there's two things that a PT set provides you. The one is motion, the other one is a picture. Um, 
there's always a trade-off between the two, like how important is motion to you? How important is the picture to you? Do you intend to have motion while you are um, live with the camera? Then you need a better motion. And that's where often um, you have a separate telemetric head or different head from Ross. There's a bunch of providers that give you a head and then you can put a great camera on top. Um, the Canon CRN 300, 500, and 700 are great cameras as well below the Sony. And then there's the typical uh, favorites like the UE150 from uh, Panasonic and the UE160, who now has some really interesting 2110 uh, features. And yeah, that's what I would do. And be aware of like, you might like, there's really cheap heads like this as well that you could never use live, doesn't have presets, but if you only need to nudge your camera left and right a little bit, might do the job. Best. Best is a big word, you know, like it's just so uh, we uh, we have a, I've worked in a studio that has motorized precision arms for the studio arms, which is the that is, in my opinion, it had uh, they hung Aries off of it for the studio. Um, that is the best. <laughs> like I just have to say it's only a million dollars for the cameras and the lenses and the and the arms. But what that did um, to what Jonas was talking about is the motor, you know, uh, it's kind of like what Mark Roberts does as well. Um, but the but the motorized precision ones, you can design all these moves and their arms. They're not pan tilt zoom. They're like moving around and everything else. Now, what we used in our studio uh, for a long time in Washington, D.C. was the telemetrics heads. So we use telemetrics uh, heads that no longer sold, but they're the kind of the heavier heads that they make. Put Blackmagic Ursas onto those, put uh, Fujinon uh, Cabrio lenses onto those and powered them from that, you know, use them there. It's a pretty high-end solution. <laughs> like it worked really, really well. If I was going to choose between that solution and that, the Sony FR7, the, the solution that I just outlined with the Ursas and the lenses and everything else, probably about a $30,000 a unit, um, you know, cost. Uh, the I would pick the FR7 at twelve thousand or fourteen thousand dollars total. You know, with good with relatively good lenses, it'll look better. Um, we I had the FR7 here for a couple of weeks while I was testing it. Uh, we're using it regularly on shows now, um, and uh, and it, it is it's stunning. It's a game changer. It's a it's a, it's an incredible camera. If I was going to build a studio, I'd build them around the FR7s at this point. Um, if you want to save some money, a lot of us kind of look at the the five hundreds from Canon makes a. Uh, the CN500s, uh, those, are the, those are the ones that we look at also. In a studio, the sensor size is a big deal. Like, like just because in a small studio, the sen a bigger sensor makes the whole studio feel bigger because you have shorter depth of field, you have all this other stuff. You, you do not want to go under one inch for a studio setting. You know, you can do a lot of the PTZs that have two-thirds inch and half inch and quarter inch are great for like corporate stuff that, you know, doesn't matter <laughs> like you know like big corporate meetings you have big zooms going in sure that's fine but if you want something to feel like it matters then you're going to go into i i don't really build buy, do anything with less than super 35 in less under 75 feet you know and uh and so the uh in a studio environment you want you're looking for super 35 sensors or higher in my opinion four thirds would be kind of the the outer edge of that so but the the cn500s are i think one inch which isn't quite as good but it's it's okay the um but i would really look at the fr7s if i'm building a studio and you look at all the costs there they are just an amazing camera um it's the best ptz i've seen in a long time or best camera for a studio i've seen in a long time go ahead jason 
Yeah, I have two problems with the word best. First, that assumes that there's only one use case and like there is kind of a reigning champion with it. The second is that um, that that is so overused that it, it loses its meaning. It's completely passe. Um, I want. I wish Google could just like eliminate it from all search results and just be like, I'm sorry, did you just use the word best? Nah. There you go. All right. Uh, we're now changing to our second hour. Um, and we had a great, great first hour there. And we're talking about, we're breaking down our backgrounds, our setups. How do we actually do this? Uh, again, we I talked a little bit at the very top of the hour that it looks like uh, a lot of times when you look at it, we're just sitting in our house, just jumping in, into the into the conversation and and uh, it's, it's pretty casual. It might not be quite as casual as it looks. Uh, so we thought we would, you know, pull up the curtain a little bit, have you uh, see what uh, the Wizard of Oz looks like or the multiple Wizard of Oz is here and see what level we're using it at. This is really a, a um, uh, an opportunity for all of us to trade notes about what's working, what's not working, for people to see what it takes to do this. Um, and it doesn't mean that you have to have everything that we have here. So when you look at what we're doing here, you know, we've been, we do this every day and most of us have been doing this over a couple of years and we keep on going, oh, I'm going to buy one more thing. Oh, I'm going to do one more thing. <laughs> I could use this. And we just keep accessorizing. It's not like you need to have all this stuff. There's, there are people who definitely jump on with a small rig. So I don't want to scare people off from being on the panel after they see what the panel is using. Um, but it is, I think it's fascinating to see how people build and how they, and I think the trading notes is is really valuable. So, so we're going to go ahead and jump into it. Uh, if you have questions about it, go ahead and throw those questions in as we're going through each person and uh and we'll um and we'll we'll talk they can answer the questions you can put questions in um we'll uh just put them in and if there's specific people make sure to name who that is that you want them to answer but in general if you have just general questions go ahead and throw those in and uh we'll we'll go ahead and start go ahead john why don't you show us what you got so this is um i didn't do an audio check on this machine i don't know how hot i am looks like it's okay 26 25 uh, th this is, this is a studio I call studio. C. this is where Fenwick works when he comes to my house. <laughs> and then this is, uh, this is a Mac mini OWC port out. You can see him down here. And then two, two big monitors here, two monitors on top. Um, ATEM mini extreme ISO, not, not the SDI, but the regular HDMI one mix pre 10 over here. And then I've got I've got DMX lights up above me. I've got a rack of gear right here below that pink light. And there's a DMX controller and then a HyperDeck, um, a switch and a bunch of other gear in that machine. And then my other desk that I sit at every day is sitting over there in the corner. So this setup is is a pretty good office hour setup over here, but it's a standing desk. And I don't like to stand here for two hours. So I come in from the other right. machine. That so makes that's, sense. that's pretty much this whole outfit over here. That's great. Uh, and and if, if for the panelists, if you have any questions or other things you want to um, uh, talk to, go ahead and uh, raise your hand for each one of these as we, as we move forward. And John, what are you, um, and you're mounting those monitors. How are you mounting those? Okay, so <clears throat> This took a lot of work to figure out because this is against the wall. There's a window back here, too. And so I've got two auto pulls on either side. And then I've got a piece of truss between them. And then the lights and, and um, the monitors are connected to the desk. But the 
I can connect anything I want. The camera is connected with the super clamp. And then my two DMX lights are connected. Those are ICANs. They're pretty expensive. Um, those are connected to that little mini piece of truss, which is six foot in length, two auto poles on either side. That's great. Let's go to Jason. All right. Um, so Preto for a while was getting on me for, for not, you know, for spending a year and never, um, never switching studios. So here it is. Um, and I, I too am standing a lot of the time and it's the reason that I'm not quite in the lower third, um, all the time. I'm, I'm inevitably in this shot. So if you have questions, just shout them out at me. Um, the lighting, I haven't quite finished yet. There are three over here and then one that's just off camera. Um, Mac Mini Studio under the desk, a whole lot of switches. Um, an SDI patch panel, a couple of Mac Mini, uh, that's an M2 and an M1 and um, some OWC storage. TV Studio 4K Pro below that. Um, <coughs> let's see, HyperDeck with... Um, uh, what's it called? With um, output, uh, whatever it's called, um, meters and whatnot. X32, uh, the body pack that I'm wearing has a transmitter that's down at the bottom. Two 27-inch uh, iMacs that, um, that are mostly at this point just for network monitoring. And, um, and uh, this one shows traffic control. And then let me pull this back a little bit so you can see it. There's an X32 here because why on earth would I ever try to reach that when I can just have this? Um, that's controlling the X32. Um, let's see. Prompter people, uh, teleprompter. Behind that is a, or a 4K Pro. What I'm looking at is the 6K Pro. And that one was a neat one. Um, there's actually a pole in the middle of this room, which I can turn the camera to show you. And um, I put a huge boom on the side of that, which is what's flying the camera, my main camera directly in front of me. That's been very handy. And then um, Apple's, um, Apple's display on an Ergotron. And let's see, what am I missing? Probably something, but I, I don't even know where to start. Um, and then Alex's recommendation, the OC White Ultima, which is actually really cool. And if you extend it, you can get really far away from it and, and move pretty, pretty well. So there you have it. Hey, go ahead, Chris. Hey, Jason, I have a question. And your wide shot on the monitor to your immediate left is a very uh, extensive audio mixing software thing. It looks like what is... Is that audio on your at the top of that monitor? And if so, what software is that? Oops, you're muted. It's so much cooler if you weren't muted. Yeah, well, you thought I was going to answer you. Um, that's a that's an X32. It's just X32, okay. um, and it's running its own Dante mix. That's the other thing is every one of these computers has its own Dante interface, which is its own NIC. And um, I've got Mickey to to thank for for helping me hammer that out. There are seven switches in here, all of which are 10 gigabit backhaul um, that Mickey loves giving me crap about, but I did we manage to make- We are all thankful for Mickey for something. That's right, <laughs> amen. <laughs> Very good. Um, uh, yeah, next, let's go to uh, Paul. Is Paul here? Did we lose Paul? Jason? 
I don't think Paul's here. I think Paul just put in a question. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, okay. Go ahead. Um, let's go ahead in your studio. Oh, well, let's let's uh, let's keep the questions. Let's go through these first. Let's go through them, and then we'll we'll, we'll come back to the questions here. Um, let's let's jump to uh, Tom. Okay. Well, I'll give you a little bit of an overview here. Uh, from the back, we have a number of monitors. I've got my multi-view up top, uh, my main camera or my main monitor, and then where I put the uh, grid view or the program view. Uh, I can control my uh, Telestrator from the Wacom One. I'm using the Heil microphone. I do most of my switching on the iPad through uh, Mr. Tao's app. And so it all looks like this from up top. For audio, um, let's see here. Back to that. Uh, for audio, we've got the Mix Pre. And then for actual, where is everything happening? We're over here on the rack, which is behind me. And I got rid of the ATEM, moved it to the rack some time ago because the cat kept laying on it and switching me automatically. And in the rack, I can also do, I have a 16 by 16 HDMI matrix there so I can repatch things at a push of a button. That's great. And that's pretty much it. Good, Bill. All righty then. Let's see. Um, first and foremost, let me go to the overhead shot. So that's me sitting at my desk. You can see, eh, it's not very, very well lit. Actually, I'm glad I did this. And I took a bunch of pictures of the actual rig, but this is how everything is laid out. Uh, let me go to camera three, which uh, shot three, which is actually uh, stills. I stood a little bit back and took pictures of everything. So this is where I sit every day. Uh, note particularly the auto poles up at the top. That's how I hang most of my lighting and things like that. Uh, I've got a variety of screens, two little monitors off to the side, the teleprompter monitor and my larger 40-inch uh, regular TV monitor over here. Had, I also use an iPad and normally the phone is on this little stand to the right. So I've got like six or seven places that my eyes bounce back and forth every day during the course of the show. Behind me, uh, this is, you can see more auto poles up there. They're holding both lighting gear, but also those big heavy drapes. And that's one of the ways I manage to keep reflections down in my room. It's got a popcorn ceiling, so I don't get very many overhead reflections, but, uh, this is kind of the area where the green lamp that everybody sees. And if I tilted up a little bit, I took a shot. So, you know, one of the auto poles is just using that little light that is doing the rake light across there. I have a huge whiteboard over there that I could put the uh, curtains over. But those are what Alex keeps talking about in terms of double fullness. They're actually pretty big curtains. And as a matter of fact, not that one, but the one over on the left is actually two sets of curtains acting as kind of like a little impromptu corner trap. And then this is a kind of a closer up shot of what I sit at every day to do the show. So questions are fine. That's Ask fine. if you'd like. Yeah, go ahead. And, yeah, definitely. As we go through these. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Bill, Chris. I was curious in in the shot with your uh, laptop. There is that where you edit on yes. that laptop, and you type on the laptop keyboard all the time. Absolutely. How do you type in time code numbers? It's it's pretty simple. You just get used to it. The number row up at the top, I have become a touch typist for numbers. And it's something, thank you, Mrs. Johnson, who was my uh, sophomore or junior year typing teacher in high school who put us through number drills relentlessly. So shifting my hands up, I can pretty much touch type numbers and do it pretty accurately. Uh, but yeah, I, that's, you know, whoops, I'm going to try to get up get into that. Uh, the key for me has been that little riser that's under the laptop. It comes from a company called Rain Design, but there are plenty of other risers. That, the expensive uh, steel case leap chair, the equivalent of an Aeron chair, uh, means that my elbows are supported and this height for the keyboard is incredibly natural and everything just stays here. So I can stay here for six or seven hours typing and it's not a problem for me. Okay. I see you have the Infamous Nissan mug. Yes, I have I have two of those. I have uh, a black one for my coffee in the morning, and then I have a stainless steel one that I use for uh, a tea that I do when I'm doing long voiceover sessions. Can you show that picture again? I just want to show people this is the – so when you do production, um, those, those Nissan mugs, for a long time, you could only buy them at Target. You had to literally – they had some kind of exclusive – and so we would buy these from Target, and they were um, they are you can get them with the handle or without the handle. They keep the they keep your liquid, uh, they keep whatever you're putting in there, hot or cold, forever. Like it's just it's just a, it's a it's just a thermos, you know, with it with a drinking mug. But and again, it comes with a handle or without the handle. We use the flat area. We would get um, we get labels of everybody's name. So that flat area, you can get a label that's just the right width. It's metal, and you can put it on there and and give it to people and put it on their on their um, things. But I just. It's just a little. When you see someone, you're like, "Oh, that person's done a lot of production <laughs> on site." Because it's it's like a culture. There's things you pick up in culture, and one of them is those Nissan mugs uh, are very much part of the thermos. Thing. Sells them under their brand too, so you can find them under thermos. Oh, I'm sorry, Nissan. it's not it's not yeah, Nissan. Thermos. It's thermos. It's thermos. Yeah. Uh, there's another one that's a Nissan mug that that is also those are the two big ones. Then there and it's like between those two, between the Nissan and the thermos ones. They are like ninety percent of oh, seminar uh, production uses those those two mugs. Uh, if you're doing a lot of voice work, there's this tea called Throat Coat. By the way, I'm just gonna yeah. do a plug for them. Throat yes. Coat is fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next, uh, we're gonna go to Chris. Uh, okay, I have a photo. I just took a photo of my desk. Um, basically, what you could see here is I have my primary display in the center. Uh, the right is my secondary display, and way over here on the right is a vertical display. When I'm editing, I use this for scripts when I'm in a show mode or whatever. It's my OBS and my ATEM switcher. This is running the um, the webcam for... Oh, can I show you this real quick? What's the exposure look like right now? Oh, it does. Uh, this is my live view of uh, 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 Brio looking out the window. Are you um, but, looking at your boat? Are what's you that? No, it's not my boat. Uh, it might be yours, Alex. <laughs> I don't know. You know what they say? Um, the, first, the best, your best, your second best day is when you buy your boat, and your best day is when you get rid of it. So, so yeah, no boat. And you measure the hole in, in the water. You measure you them throw in money three in. dimensions: length, width, and debt. Um, back to the desk. <laughs> uh, the I, I have a um, a visa mount pole, and I gotta say, uh, the, the the idea of visa mounts used to seem 
and and this is for somebody who's just trying to grow their their footprint. They used to seem like, ooh, that's really hard to do. You know, you have to get the, you know, uh, grounds people to come in and set that up. Uh, I've been buying them now, and I really like them. They're not that hard. My preferred choice is to just drill a hole in the desk and then put the clamp right through it. Um, but back to here. So on the Visa mount, I have four things mounted on the Visa mount. There is one little 1080 display that I use for my Zoom ISO, one 1080 display, which is the output of the Stream Deck, which is down here. This is my jury summons, if you're curious. Uh, and then in the middle, right in the middle of this cluster of four monitors, that's where my where my camera is, uh, just tucked right in there. Now, there's something else that I have going on here that's kind of neat. This is a physical um, USB switcher. It's like the equivalent of a KVM, but it's just... It's just um, three things. Now, I put it here on this little small rig uh, arm, which is also attached to the visa pole. And down here, you can barely see it, right? This this little switch here. I was playing around with the, um, you know, the software things that Preto thinks is so great. Uh, and I got bagged by it. I tried to switch to the other computers. Like, ah, my mouse wasn't working. So I took Alex's advice. Uh, uh, more power to you, Alex. Uh, I got a physical switch. Click, click, click. And it just rotates through all the computers that are live. And what's cool is this is the thing that actually has all the cables attached to it. And I put a little label here. Uh, you can't read it there, resolution. Uh, but it has this little rotating dot that pops up and down. And it allows me to uh, see which computer is actually live. So down in this corner, I have my uh, Stream Deck farm. Uh, this little red light means that my Elgato light is not working. Uh, there's $2 bill down here for my grandkids. They love those things. And if you're curious over here's where I find keeps his passwords on that post-it note. Uh, this is the other thing that's really fun. I've been messing around with this. Uh, what's this called? Sound lad desk, uh, sound something desk, I think. sound yeah, desk. Sound desk yeah. Uh, this is my new audio monitoring and what I do with, and I would, I would love to do Alex. We got to do a whole like day on ways to deal with audio for, uh, uh, uh office hours. Yeah. So I have all the apps that I typically use come into this mixer. Out of here, they go to the um, the uh, uh, to it the main two inputs uh, of my um, my mix pre. So I yeah. hear those all the time. The alternate outputs, the three four outputs go uh, three four inputs on the mix pre are are a aux mix out of the sound desk. And when I have this little mute light on, I will no longer make mistakes like I did yesterday. Apologies to everybody. <laughs> right into my, feed me I right know, back to I know. Totally amateur. You should, I don't even know why I'm here. You should have kicked me <laughs> off the island. Uh, you could vote about that later, Preto. Um, so this little mute switch, when that's on, I'm totally safe. Nothing that I'm playing is going out to the world. When I unmute that, this mix of apps or whichever ones I turn on and off uh, will be, quote-unquote, broadcast out to my Zoom thing. And then there's my Unity. That's my password. Don't use that. Uh, oh, over here is my MixPre. And then I have this little Korg Nano Controller, which helps me do things on that MixPre that are not possible because it you notice it doesn't have as many knobs as this does. And then the other thing is I'm buying another one of these Korg Nano controllers because I'm going to put it over on this side of the desk. 
it will allow me to mix all my apps, both to my ears and to the broadcast. And then, you know, I have some lights and stuff, but that's not as interesting. Yeah, I, I uh, that the sound desk is something I've been digging into, and I'm taking that. Um, one of the things I'm experimenting with is taking all the Zoom ISO. So I take Zoom ISO and I pass it all out via loopback, and then I hand all those channels to the to the uh, sound desk, and and then I uh, and now I can mix everybody individually, and then do whatever else I want to it. And you can apply uh, EQ and do all the other things you want, you know, inside of that processor. So one last thing I want to point out. So this here, this was the key to me understanding uh, how to use Sound Lab Desk to do to do this. Yep. What I had to do is I had to make a loopback device um, that just had a whole bunch of channels on it. I just went yep. clink 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 clink, added a bunch of these, and then what I did is I created. I just patched each app into the channels that I wanted. Yep. Um, and I'll also say, if you go to the loud desk, whatever it's called, I'm sorry. Loud lab, uh, but I think it's, it's yeah. a sound desk. Sound desk, right. If you go to that website, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. They actually have another gizmo you can download. I don't know if you've seen this, Alex. It is a application matrix, if you will. And you could just like, all your open apps just go tink, 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 tink. And then they also have a, um, I think they call it a virtual patch cable yeah. system, whatever. And and they even say, use SoundDesk as your mic input to Zoom. So right. a lot of capabilities. Uh, we're going to get the one. We're yeah, just, you know, cool. we're just. Yeah, it's going to be. It's it's a it's a really interesting app that I that I've been fiddling with for quite some time. Yeah, they, I. They also make Sonic Atom, which is a it's great scopes. I will say that the greatest asset to me that this whole community has been is this sort of back and forth with people you know there's eight people here ten people here all out and and you know talk take the whole community hundreds of people uh that are all out you know sniffing different corners of the internet coming back with these little tidbits of ideas yeah. and you mentioned this on when you mentioned this on the show a couple months ago i was like mm -hmm. i have no idea what that is but it's right. it's turning out to be a really great little asset and super cheap 30 bucks yeah yeah it's it's great i have a quick question um what is the name of the app that will show you that matrix i'm unfamiliar with that one uh, let me, I, I, I can put that honestly in, put that in as a question and then I'll give Chris time to find it. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, I think I'm next. Uh, so let me show you, I, I have some photos to show here. Hold on. So I, I thought it'd be useful to show a little bit of when I started constructing this, um, this setup for, you know, just so you could see it before it, cause it's a little bit, you can't see all of it once I, once it all comes up. So, um, what I did here is this, this room just keeps going, you know, there's a, it's an A-frame kind of thing and it goes up like 20 feet. So there's a lot of echo, there's a lot of things there and I can't hang anything from the ceiling cause it's too far away. So, um, and uh, here's a TV that I have literally only turned on once since I bought it. I bought it and then decided, and then COVID hit and I decided to put this rig in and I've never seen any images. It's a nice TV too. Uh, anyway, so, um, it just sits there. I, maybe I'll move it somewhere. Um, I'm using, this is MakerPipe. So this is the this is the use that you can use to connect the maker, maker pipe, um, and then these are the, some of the ends. So this is just EMT rail that I bought for I don't know it's like ten dollars per ten feet or something like that. It is far, hard to find EMT rail longer than ten feet. You probably shouldn't do it anyway. It probably can't hold the weight. 
um, so it kind of defined how big my space was, was 10 feet. <laughs> and, and now I have these, these U-line wire shelves. They go almost all, you can see them behind me here. A funny thing about the set behind me is those are U-line wired shelves. They don't look like it because this piece of wood right here, I went to like, I'm going to build a finish for it so I, you don't have to see the ugly like wiring that's there. And I laid it down. I just set it here just to for one morning. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's enough. <laughs> Like, it's not even attached. Like, it just sits there and I can move it if I want to. Um, and then I, but I also was like, oh, I, but I do need to put, I was going to hang wood across these, the, the crossbars and just decided that, eh, I'm just going to put gaff tape. Alex, we're actually not seeing this. We're seeing the overhead oh, shot still. So I apologize. Um, so uh, I was in the wrong space. What I was saying is, is that these, those, those U lines there, this is this piece of wood. I just like sat there and was like, nah, it looks, it looks it's good enough. It's out of focus. And, and the shelves themselves are, are just gaff tape in cr across the front of them because it was like, uh, I'll figure this out later. I'm going to put gaff tape around it now and never got back to it. So, so anyway, so, um, uh, so that's, that's that there. So th anyway, so this is the maker pipe. Um, I'm using C stands here, um, on the corners. So these are just standard, standard C stands. I think because they're not moving very much, I went ahead and got newer C-stands rather than like Avengers or Matthews or whatever because uh, the newer ones are pretty close. They're a lot less expensive and they are, and I'm not moving them around a lot. When I use ones that I'm using a lot, I tend to get the Avenger or Matthews because they're, they just adjust faster and they stick less and there's lots of, you know, everything fits on them a little bit better. But the newer ones worked great for, for this because I was saving money. Um, this is a little thing that I bought for like $250 and I love it and you can't buy any more of them. So now I'm trying to find another one. I wish I had bought two. Um, it just got a little, you know, pull out shelf and I can dump stuff under here. Um, and um, the, uh, but it's got this little, you know, it's just a little thing where I can put hooks. And so I've got all my cables over there and, and I can just go, you know, it's, it changed, it literally, this one little thing re revolutionized my, my space. And I, I, I was going to get one for each side. I was like, oh, I don't, I'm, I'll get one and test it. And then they stopped making them. So I'm kind of in a, in a tizzy there. Um, so anyway, so this is what you can see. You can kind of see this arm a little bit better than the other photos. This is, these are, these are clamped on. You can see I have a very high tech desk. I keep on deciding, I keep on dreaming that I'm going to go over and hang out with Benwick and it build a desk. It makes me sad. That but, desk makes me sad. It's because I haven't, I can't decide what I want. So, so I just keep on going well. And I, so I, I become a master of folding desks. And I admit that I've worked in production for so long that I, um, that you're used to folding desks. And so it's a known, it's very known. Entry. I will say it's a nice folding desk. This is these, these pixel core ones we bought for pixel core, um, long ago, they're hard, they're wooden, they're heavy, and you can attach lots of things to them. So that's what, that's what's there. Um, I use these Hawanu, um, this gets back to the visa mount that Chris uh, was talking about. I use these Hawanu, um, they're not as nice as the Amazon ones and definitely not as, not, not as nice as monitors in motion, but they, they have a little uh, screw that lets you open, you know, change their stiffness. So depending on what kind of monitor you put on them. And um, they're like 80 bucks and they clamp onto here and they, and I have uh, three sets of them um, that I, that I use. I like, I don't like things to be fixed. So I like to be able to grab the monitors and keep moving them around and spinning them. I do a lot of things when I'm working um, that I, that I need there. So let me, let me jump to the next, uh, let me see, let me jump to the next thing. Uh, how do I, uh, I'm on the wrong computer. Hold on. There we go. So this is kind of once it was built out more what it looks like here. Um, so what you can see here is there's my, there's my, my Mac studio, but I also have some Mac minis over here. I've got my little, um, I got my little stream, 
uh, Stream Deck here that I'm still fiddling with. I've got my my switcher here. Um, these monitors kind of build out. So these two monitors belong to other Mac Minis. Um, those those belong to these, these other Mac Minis, and these three monitors belong to this studio. Um, so I can kind of be switching between them, um, you know, and deciding what I'm you know what I'm looking at there. Um, the uh, you know my mic uh, my mic arm comes across it's kind of hard to see but it comes across and it's attached to this desk so no matter what i do to my desk no matter how much i pound it it's never touching it because those two desks don't touch and this this arm this arm comes across is that a husky workbench it's not it's some it's a it's an ultra hd seville class work desk um i don't know it was like 300 bucks or 250 dollars and and uh, you had to make it yourself, and it, it required about an hour and about forty swear words to make it to build it out. Um, you know, you, I, I kind of measure building in swear words. Um, anyway, so um, uh, anyway, so they have. Uh, you'll see this is like uh, Tom has uh, up here. I have a matrix. This is an eight by eight matrix that's up there that that I can um, make work. Um, I think that unfortunately, my I don't know why I took this picture this way. Maybe I have another better picture. Hold on, I think I have another one here. Uh, this is a little closer up, and somehow still it's obscured. So this is a closer up version of the same thing. Um, this is after I took a monitor out because I needed it. My my wife needed it for a show, <laughs> so, so that's why that's, the monitor is missing at the moment. Um, and um, but you can see where my mic is. You can see my little. I have a little I can teleprompter. That's what I'm about to replace with a bigger monitor and a homemade one. Here, um, the uh, uh, the right behind this mic is that USB. Um, uh, it is uh, the my USB switch. It's a P-Way, I think, a P-Way. It's a four-way KVM switch. I don't use any of the monitor switching on it. I just use the USB switching to jump from computer to computer. Although what's weird is that sometimes I can jump between the computers with Apple's con- you know con- continuity, and sometimes I can't, depending on... I've, I'm slowly figuring out why I can't at certain times, but, but that's what's there. Um, another thing that's kind of obscured here, and I think that if I go back... Yeah, what's right there is my um, so this. Unfortunately, this this image doesn't show it, but I have right right here. Um, sorry, it's a poorly placed uh, placed a, a chair. But right here is a is my studio two hundred five. That's my that's where I mute mute and unmute um, there, and then uh, it goes into the mix pre where I where I listen to stuff. But that's pretty much the breakout of what it looks like. All of this is a hundred percent necessary <laughs> like i tried it without it it my room does not work without lots and lots of so this is um these are 90 90 pound weight sound blankets um that you can get on amazon the problem with them are is that you cannot buy them with grommets they just don't sell them that thick with with the grommets in them so you have to grommet them uh, uh, you have to grommet them yourself and you can't use a one of the little clamp grommets uh you have to use the uh you have to use the the ones where you use a hammer, and um, yeah, that's more fun anyway. I, I got to see the I got to see the bone in my. Uh, in I was my about thumb. to say I didn't think you grommeted anymore, <laughs> Alex. I don't. I will not grommet anymore. I will send them out to somebody to grommet because I got to see what my, the bone in the middle in the, in my thumb looked like after. Did, well, did hitting, you not hitting use that, the hitting little that tool little that came with the grommet? I did use mallet? the tool. I missed the tool and hit my thumb, and and when I hit my thumb really hard, it was. It hurt. It hurt a lot. Like you know, don't, like enough that I'm. I'll never put another grommet into anything ever again. Like that was like this. Don't is, change your career. Oh my gosh! I avoid will not. the blue collar sector. Yeah, no, I was like, 
<laughs> it's 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 fiddly because you, you you've got these two pieces and then you've got this thing and so it's it's not like a normal hammering it's like everything's moving and you're kind of like i just didn't have a good space to do it in and so i ended up really whacking myself and so anyway so so anyway but those those these these work really well um this mic that i'm using right now is unusable without those without the sound blankets and they go you know as you can see in some of these um they go pretty let's see um yeah it's hard to see here but now the other thing here is this is more this is more maker pipe so this is a this is three feet by five feet um that there and the maker pipe is kind of like uh, an adult erector set <laughs> you know like you just go I think I, I want a big thing. And then I just bought some diffusion on Amazon for like $18. There's nothing particular about it. There's, this is a Nanlite. Uh, this one, these are all, they're all Nanlite 68s, I think. So this is my, this is the one that goes over my head. And these are, there's three of them back here um, that, that, that turn on there. Um, and then the thing you can't see on either end is that I have got some mixed 60s that are pointed at the. So, background here. Alex, I have a question for you. You were talking about pipe and we were, we were talking about pipe and drape a while ago. Have you ever considered taking your packing blankets and putting them at a hundred percent fullness with and and have them not quite so taut? I have. It would require more grommets. <laughs> <laughs> He's got grommetophobia. So, you know, I, I, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of grommets, and, and so it's worked pretty well. I, I have thought about doing that, um, and. Uh, it, I let them be a little like they're not pulled taut taut, but um, I could. I, I feel like the sound is pretty good. Like I don't have a lot of reflection. It sounds so. pretty awful, and I'm going to oh, need yeah. to hear that with full yeah, with full, full fullness, blousiness, or you know what happened called. was I built it out, and I'm like, ah, it sounds pretty good. Uh, by the way, the other thing that is is important is um, that I'm worried that you think this sounds again, good. I really think you need more grommets. <laughs> more like it's like more cowbell. You need more grommets. Um, this, by the way, is something I bought on Amazon as well. It's a 12 foot. Uh, I the, one of the first things that I do when I build a space is I put car carpet in because it's just a really cheap. <laughs> like if you have something soft on the ground, it reduces a lot of unhappiness. Um, all right, let's go. Let's go to Courtney. Okay, unlike the rest of you, I don't have 16 cameras I can cut to, but I did. Uh, I did take a, a still shot at the beginning of the day here. So this is what. I'm looking at, and this is in a living room. My house is, you know, over a hundred years old. And, um, as a living room, uh, it was, it has the original wiring with screw in fuses and, uh, <laughs> and the original plumbing. So, uh, let's see on my techno straighter here. Let's see if I can see, um, up here, I have the, uh, newer light and, um, let's see, um, Here's my camera right there, which is the uh, um, Canon X M50 Mark II. Uh, have my uh, microphones here uh, on a newer arm for light. I've I've got this. Uh, this is a newer, and it's on. I use this. Uh, I have no room here. This is an HP printer up here uh, that um, is the camera is backed right into the output tray. And if I print something out, it covers up the lens. So it's, it's I got to be careful. And I use it as a gobo in front of this uh, light to waste it as, as the light comes up from the window that's beside me. Uh, I pull that out and push it back and use the printer as a gobo to manage the light output out of that panel. Uh, uh, the main monitor here is uh, a 23 inch uh, monitor. 
that is hooked up to the main output of my computer. On the left over here is a portable monitor that's on a magic arm that is the output of the uh, ATEM. The ATEM is sitting down here in the corner with my Rodecaster Pro. Sorry, I don't draw too good with a mouse. <laughs> and uh, it's sitting just on a rolling chair in my living room. And over here on the left is my comms, which is sitting on an old HP tablet computer with a touch version of comms on a magic arm. Uh, down here underneath is the Dell and a big UPS that hopefully keeps me on the air uh, when things go wrong. There is a Mac Mini, believe it or not, that's sitting right underneath this monitor. It makes a lovely monitor stand. Uh, and the keyboard for it is underneath this keyboard, so not a sophisticated KVM uh, output. And then I have a, a fourth computer that comes in that's sitting over here, which is a melee sitting on top of one of the others that um, it comes into the fourth input on the ATEM. So that's my setup and I'm sticking with it. It's great. Yeah. It looks great. It looks and this great. is my real living room behind me. It's not a slide. And if only, if only you could, you could turn the light on and off on those trophies in the back. <laughs> I, I have that ability, but I will turn everyone's lights on and off across if I do it now. <laughs> next question. Uh, oh, next, you want to go to Jesse. next? I think next. Jesse. Yeah, Sorry, set up. Jesse. Jesse. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Stately Wayne Manor. I've got two shots for you. We're going to start at the semi wide of this desk. And what you're seeing is um, I, I try to keep the desk empty because I do YouTube videos as well. So I want to keep the space for uh, for working and demonstrating stuff with cameras. Um, you're not seeing it, but right under here is where we have the Mac Mini Velcroed to this desk. And over here is where we have all of our USB plugs Velcroed to the desk. And then down there, we've got our um, our, uh, uh, power, our power brick. Um, Velcroed to the desk. We're using a Godox 60 watt bulb with uh, um, two layers of diffusion and the big old egg crate filters. Um, and we've got that gallery back there. I don't care for the uh, flat colored background. That's uh, we we broke our light that does the textured background, and we're trying to get back to that. I think uh, yesterday we saw some of the uh, some of the compression artifacting that was a result of having a flat color background. And we've got one more shot, and this is. Um, what the desk looks like, um, two monitors, keep it pretty simple, clean. You can see that I've got my fill light or yonder and behind me, I've got that, uh, kicker light over my head. And that's how we achieve this image. Hey, I Jesse, think you went for sleekest, sleekest setup. Look, this is a sleek. Yeah, so ahead, Jesse, in the wide shot, uh, it, it, am I seeing that you just didn't cut in the blue when you painted the back wall at the top? <laughs> You just literally just roll it up and go, ah, that'll do. Is that, is that what we're yeah. seeing? Oh, absolutely. That is, this the, is a good lesson. Stops. This is a good lesson for no, building a set. It, the only thing that matters is what you see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What you're seeing is the edge of my expertise right there. That's awesome. It's so great. Um, let's go to Alexander. Okay, so I've turned on my cameras here. So basically, I guess let's just start with the other angles here. I'll try to, so I'm in a one bedroom apartment here. It's a little over 700 square feet. I'm gonna start with the acoustic treatment here. Uh, actually, let's just start, I guess let's start with the lights here. So I've got, um, because I have smaller, I've, I'm slowly upgrading my cameras. The one I have right now is a G7, which is a micro four thirds camera. 
The other three cameras that I have are Panasonic, Lumix, point and shoots. So they have, um, I think it's nearly a half inch sensor. Uh, so I've got a lot of LED panels. I have these Chauvet cast panels. I have eight of them and one Godox LED panel. All eight of them are turned on right now. That's on the, uh, or, oh, I'm just on the wrong camera. Why? I'm like, why isn't this? Okay. So there's uh, what I call Studio B or Set, set B because I, I usually have guests sitting here. So I've got RE20 microphones, uh, RE27 on the other side. I've got prime acoustic uh, treatment panels all over the place. You can see they're all along the walls there. I have the prime acoustic uh, ceiling panels there as well. And you can see my kitchen there in the back. And I even have some acoustic panels. And we like to call that craft services. Yeah, craft services, craft. exactly. So I have, um, I've got some, my Zoom isn't working for some reason. Oh, let me exit out of this mode. There we go. Okay, so I've got panels in the kitchen as well. I mean, this space is absolutely dead. I've put so much in there, even in the doorway, which is hard to see because it's underexposed. There's a panel hanging right above the door there. And then if we go over here and let me zoom out. So there's my hi-fi setup with the TV. I have more prime acoustic panels there. They're behind the TV. I've got the, the four foot tall panels there and the, uh, the 12 by 12s there as well. And then you can see the set behind me here, as well as I pan around, I've got my Orcan 3 DMX lights here, uh, more paneling there, and there's a max base trap there in the corner. Uh, those are Ikea blackout curtains, and I've got two layers of blackout curtains covering all of these windows. I'm just going to completely rotate around. There's my head. So you don't see any anything there. They do a pretty good uh, job of blocking out the light there. So that's that area there. And if I cut to one more camera there, it's facing me. So you can see again, um, and I have no zoom control right now, but I tried to position it so you can see I've got the three LED panels there as my main lights above me. They're mounted quite high up so that I don't really get a ton of reflection on my glasses there as well. And I also have, and I'll cut back to the other camera here, is I just added this new small rig RM75, which is a little battery powered light. I'm running it off of USB-C power right here. I really like these things. They're really cool. It was about 80 bucks and it uh, it's actually magnetic. So I have it magnetized here to a little Ikea headphone stand. And I use it just to take away a little bit of the shadows underneath my chin here and to give me a little more detail and contour on my beard. So, uh, and that that's pretty much the lighting setup there. You can see my ATEM uh, Extreme ISO switcher there. And you can also see my Tascam Mixcast uh, console here. I'll just zoom in, in a bit here so you can see that a little bit better. So this is what I've been using, uh, and, it's, and it's pretty rock solid. Tascam has really nice quiet preamp, 66 dB of gain. It has a lot of similar features to the Rode. Uh, it doesn't have the, the two USB outs, which is something I wish it had. It doesn't have the same routing, but overall it's been rock solid. I've been using this thing for over a year now. Uh, the desk that I have is made by a company called Glorious Desks. I think they're out of Germany, if I'm not mistaken. 
Uh, it's a pretty solid desk. I've got two radial power conditioners in the rack here where everything is plugged into. And on this side, I have a quarter inch Neutrik uh, patch bay here uh, where everything is wired to. And then a recent addition, I have a TestSmart 4x4 matrix and I immediately regretted not buying the 8x8, uh, but I'm stuck with that now. So that's what I have everything wired into. And that is pretty much my setup. You can see right here, there's the AKG C414 ULS just slightly out of frame on a Heil uh, boom arm. I think that's the PT1, which is not connected to the desk. It is connected to this little IKEA side table here. I also have a little Elgato low profile here for my guests, which is nice. I'm slowly replacing all my mic booms with those. Uh, so that's pretty much the lighting and uh, camera setup. I'm going to cut back to my main camera here. Hey, Alexander, can, can you show the shot with the all the little acoustic square tiles on the wall above the TV again? Yeah. So are those hard to mount? How, how did you mount those? So they come with the... Uh, Prime Acoustic calls them impalers, these little metal plates that basically you just drill into the drywall. And because the back of the panels are a fiber wool board, they just plunk down right on top and um, mm. impale the panel. Yeah, I have something very similar in my in my living room, except it's just pictures of my kids and my family. I don't think it has <laughs> the same acoustic treatment as yours. I, I'll have to oh, look into getting what you have. I missed one thing here as far as acoustic treatment is concerned. One more. So I've got... I don't know if you can see it there, right over there. That's another yeah. Max bass trap. Those bass traps are absolutely amazing. Your room sounds good. It's, you've put a whole lot of work into it, and it's a big space to have it sound yeah. so tight. It's good. That's, That's amazing. Really good. Yeah, it's great. Courtney? Uh, yeah, I'm amazed at the amount of uh, trouble you've gone to to treat that room acoustically. I, I find for myself just a... A nice patina of dust and dust bunnies really helps <laughs> absorb, especially when you live in a hundred-year-old house, you know. And you're saying, "Hey, I don't have to vacuum." It just helps, you know, mute the echoes. What's the reflective that- coefficient of dust? Yeah. Does yeah, it exactly. depend on where you live? All right, we're running out of time. Let's go to let's go to Harshid. Harshid, give us hey, a little tour. Yeah. All right. So right now you're just looking at through one camera, and I got this camera pointed at Bob. So just let me grab it. All right, so we're bringing this second camera around, and with this second camera, I'm going to hold it right here and point down for one second. You might be seeing my interface and keyboard and that kind of situation going on here. So I got an Elgato low-profile boom arm that I'm using my SE Electronics, and I always talk about at mic check about the SSL2, the Solid State Logic 2. And let's see if I could give you a better shot of this by not messing this up, but I'm holding it up overhead. And to describe for my other blind viewers that might be seeing this later, um, it's interface that's uh, about a seven inch box, uh, maybe a ice cream box, you could say. On the top left hand side, you got uh, knobs and buttons, or you have three buttons on, uh, so you have two channels two uh, interfaces or two microphones or whatever you could put into. And on the left-hand side, you have three chiclet-style buttons, which is your 48 volts, your, uh, I think that's a high-pass filter in the middle, and so on and so forth. And then below that, you have a knob that is your gain knob and your uh, 4K button that uh, is so well-known for the solid-state logic stuff. 
Now on the monitor side, I just have my simple uh, screen right there and my laptop is on this other side. And to point downwards here, just uh, I have a stand that I'm using to get it a little bit of air in there. I currently have the fan off for the show, but just, you know, uh, the red light's on because it's uh, on air. Uh, as far as lighting is concerned, uh, just basic lighting right there. Uh, that is a hue light bulb, and then to the right is another hue light bulb, which I match up. And then on the top and to the sides is a GE light bulb, which I use the snow white color for the, uh, which I'm going to call it the Google Home app. And then as far as anything behind me, I have a nano leaf behind me, as you see the blue light over there and uh, that's basically the setup uh, as far as share and comfort I have moved from the last time you saw me you were looking at me through a, a Yamaha and all that that's great whoop lost you lost your audio I think okay there we go oh. uh, I have a sorry about that I have an Amia steel case chair which again, it does help a lot. Ergonomics mm. is important. So uh, that's a lot of adjustability and uh, I have a mute switch on the floor. So I'm gonna mute myself, so cheers. Thank you. That's awesome. Really, really good. Uh, now we're gonna jump into questions. We are running out of time. So I'm gonna engage, I, mean, I don't usually talk about time, but the uh, just let, let everybody know to be concise in their questions or in their answers so that we can get to them. We've got a lot of questions that stacked up on us. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the first question. This may be the most important life question we face today. Richard Bullman, Defiance, Ohio. What's the most effective way to get an 18-year-old to move out so that I can use his room as a studio or office? Mostly go, kidding, of course. Go ahead, Jesse. Uh, help him out with the first 6 to 12 months of rent for their first apartment. Uh, if that taste of freedom doesn't convince them to never move back into your house, uh, the three-month dinner that you invite them back for and show them the new setup of their bedroom will uh, tell them which way the wind is blowing. <laughs> go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, you solved your own problem there. Tell them you're going to move, you're going to change their room into a studio and office. And, um, you know, if they can't get with the program, uh, good luck sleeping on my desk. I, early early rising with loud music is a pretty, pretty effective, uh, pretty effective way to move people around. Uh, next question. Jesse Mills, San Francisco Bay Area. The folks that have complex NDI systems at home, which NDI routing software do you prefer? I don't know if any of us showed a back. I don't know if any of us showed any NDI in the whole system. I don't think any of any of the any of the setups. I just it just I just noticed it when Jesse asked. I don't think any of us are using NDI uh, for for our setups. Uh, next question, Richard Bullman, Defiance, Ohio. Wasn't there some talk a while back about creating some entry level preferred and advanced parts lists for setting up a home studio? We're working on it. The best we can do right now is just show you what we're using. Uh, but but we're, you know, we're, we'll definitely, I think that it's less about doing maybe a whole studio. And we did do a couple of those. And I think for Josh, if he's watching, is that we could probably bring those back and talk about those at least once, you know, once a month or once every couple months, um, have the 5,000 and the 15,000 and 50,000. And like, what does it take to do these different, different sizes or the 1,000? I think that we've had a lot of people recently asking me like, what, what can I do for a thousand dollars? And we kind of talked through that. Um, yeah, go ahead, Jason. There was a lot of talk about this, especially in the beginning. Um, and you're not going to see those here. That That's not an mm -hmm. accident. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, right. I, I think it would be good for a rephrase. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that, that that'd be a good one. So we'll we'll, we'll brainstorm more. Like I think probably it's one thousand, five thousand, fifteen thousand, and fifty thousand, maybe a quarter million. So people know what that looks like, what you would do. I mean, but again, it's not so much for you to have at home. But if you're there's people here that are working on studios. The one of the big things we have to remember is that studios are becoming a big, big deal at corporate because they're realizing they have to engage people online more than they did before. So that quarter million does adds the you can use that up really quickly. You can soak that money up <laughs> very fast. Next question. Uh, Peter Belbin in Houston. Jesse, I'm watching with SDR, and I find that there is a band of shadow that when you look directly at the camera, the shadow on the left side of your face, the fill side, is very dark, perhaps because the fill is too far behind you? Go, Jesse. Um, we go a little bit extra moody in this studio. That's a preference. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing is that because I have a flat blue background, the compression, any any compression artifacts are really obvious on a single monochrome background. And that's why we're building back out the, the textured background again, which we had before and then lost because I broke the light. <laughs> Next question. Next question comes from Tom Ferguson in Phoenix. Chris, does the SoundDesk virtual devices add-on play well with loopback and audio hijack? Go ahead, Chris. All right, I'm going to get this right one time to this show. Loudlab-app.com is where you can learn all about SoundDesk. And when you scroll down, uh, this is for you, Jason, you just scroll, scroll, routing, mixing, blah, 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 DSPs, inserts, whatever, MIDI control, boom. SoundDesk virtual device add-on, no more. Click on that. Basically what they're showing is a matrix of all the apps uh, which apparently does exactly what I was doing when I showed you uh, uh, my loopback. Tom, to answer your question, I have no idea. I haven't actually installed this yet. I, I invested all that time in doing it in loopback, and I kind of like the idea of um, conquering the, the problem because I feel like once I do that, I understand it a little better. Um, what was interesting is when I went into this, I was like, who in their right mind would want a, a mixer for all their open apps? That just sounds ridiculous. And then after actually scrolling down the page, I realized, oh, they've made a whole feature for this. So <laughs> it's not quite as ridiculous as I thought. Next question. Ranjan Chandil, Los Angeles. Chris, what is the USB switcher in the device next to your keyboard that you're using in your studio? Go ahead, Chris. I think this is the KVM. Oh, I. you know what? I have no idea. It's something I bought off of Amazon. I will try and look back through my purchases and find it and put it somewhere. Thing. Next question. Uh, Douglas Carmichael on it. We have covered this. Chris, how are you using SoundDesk in your setup? Uh, so the, 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 what I'm doing is I'm trying to be a little bit more thoughtful about what I'm listening to and how loud I really need to listen to it. And if you think about what your computer does in general. I mean, in its basic form, uh, you open up a bunch of things. Uh, maybe it's Unity, Zoom, YouTube, iTunes, Apple TV, whatever. And everything just plays at full blast into your ears. And it's, it's almost like it's going through a massive Y adapter. Uh, Zoom, uh, YouTube has a volume control. I don't know why Zoom doesn't. I think every app should have a, a mute button for it, but they don't. So what I'm doing is I'm you I through loopback I've created a giant input device where I can apply I can patch 
every open app that I have. Oh, one thing I didn't show about that, the way I did it in Loopback, is I created a Loopback patch. Let's see if I can show this super quick. I know I can, I know I can. Okay, so right here, I and I named them all the same. App, Final Cut Out. App, QuickTime Out. App, Safari Out. App, Sound Desk Out. App, boop, boop, boop. App, Unity Out. So I create those so that I can patch them into something later. Right. And that's the thing about loopback is you're create you you're literally like it's almost like you have a patch bay and you go oh I need something here and you just take a sharpie and you and you draw it here's the output of my thing and then it just magically appears in all your menus when you when you pop it down so you have to do that then you patch them into the thing and I'm just trying to control how much I listen to everything um, in my ears but then also by using the aux outs. I'm selectively deciding what I want to send to Zoom. And the primary reason that I do that, not to screw up the show like I did yesterday and, and drive Alex absolutely bonkers nutso. Uh, you saw it in his face too. Uh, um, I, I did watch the playback and I really, I'm sorry. Um, uh, but, but as an editor, quite often I'm sitting in an edit session and I need to take the output of my editor and play it into the Zoom meeting that I'm in. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say, oh, take a look at this QuickTime movie, and that's why I have to have QuickTime in there. Or, right. hey, let me show you something cool off of uh, uh, YouTube, and that's why I have to have Safari in there. So it's it gives me the ability to route stuff to you as well, but not necessarily all the time, yep. like yesterday. Next question. Simon Norman Hossi in Tromsø, Norway. These are all great setups, but sometimes you just have to use what you have at hand. An iPhone pointing out the windscreen for five days during a very long haul of 2,100 miles. We got no clue how many bananas that is. Live feed is in the main office hours room. All right. We'll definitely check that out. We have to see that. We have to see that happening. Uh, we could probably talk. There's probably a whole second hour on attaching cameras to cars that we could probably do in um, the and they're not the suction cups are and the and the mounting systems are are specific. So we'll we'll yeah we'll we'll have more talk, conversations about that. Uh, next question, Paul Terry Wallace, Austin, Texas. Discuss your philosophy of cable management and cable connectors. You know, I have to admit that I don't use a lot of cable management at home, and the reason I do that is because uh, I am constantly changing it. So it's just like it's it's almost I mean almost on a weekly basis I'm moving things around and re rewiring them and everything else. And so I, I do number a bunch of things that go in and out of my studio because I'm con my Mac studio, because I'm every Friday, I take it down for the Michael Krasny show. So yeah, Bill, real quick. My philosophy is that whatever I do, I look at it later and I go, that wasn't good enough. I do love the troughs and some of these uh, desks that are purpose built for that. So you can lay cables in the troughs without having to bundle them in any form. And uh, Yeah. Next question. Paul Terry Wallace, Austin, Texas, uh, in your studio. Can you roll your desks and gear around easily and change their positions? Uh, go ahead, uh, Jesse. Uh, nope, that's the next build. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, you bet your bottom dollar I can. It's one of the reasons I built this desk. Mm -hmm. Oh, there you go. Very good. Wow, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> that looks really good. Uh, next question. And Tom, uh, Douglas Carmichael, Tom, what is that European style clock on your wall? I got Tom. That clock is made by Wharton. And here it is. Uh, we've got it on the wall. And it is also both NTP connected and PoE. 
I tried to find one of those about a, about two weeks ago and couldn't find them anywhere. There's a couple of used places, but that's I it. I use an iPad. <laughs> an old iPad does that for me. Atomic uh, Clock. Yeah, Atomic Clock by Goreen. Uh, next question. Jesse Mills in San Francisco. Which sub-1,000 U.S. dollar H.264 encoders that work with Companion are folks using? Jesse. I haven't used it with Companion, so correct me if I'm wrong, but this guy works wonders. Yeah, I, I use the Elemental Link, which is nine ninety nine, so technically under a thousand dollars. Still some usage costs, but uh, but that and doesn't. I don't know if it works with Companion, but it does work in the web. Uh, next question, Douglas Carmichael. Chris, you've sold me on SoundDesk. Should I buy it from the Loud Lab site or from the Mac App Store? Ahead, I, I did. I did not even know you could get it off of the uh, App Store. I would have done that. Uh, I feel um, betrayed, cheated. Um, <laughs> I'm angry, and my day's ruined. Thanks, Douglas. Yeah, I would do a little research. Sometimes when they're offered in both places, one is a little ahead of the other one. Um, you know, like Resolve is a thing that you should never buy off the App Store yes. um, because it's limited. And so, uh, I, not that I've ever done that. Oh, and, I'm sorry. Um, you said never buy it off the App Store. I thought you said no, never no. buy it. Oh, never. You should mind. never buy okay. Resolve off the App Store. Oh, Goofball. Anyway, but um, but I would generally I try to buy if, if as long as I've, I'm sure that they're both in parity, I'll always buy it from the Mac Store because when you open up a new app, a new computer, you just turn it on and. And, you know, everything's all installed. Um, I would never buy an app under well, not never, but almost never buy an app under hundred dollars that isn't on the app store because I, um, because of the specifically because I want to be able to install it easily whenever I turn on new new computer up. I wish I had it off the app store. That would be much better. Next question. Uh, the last one for today. Jason Bache in Albuquerque says, Alex, what's your level of diffusion on that main rig? I assume he's talking lighting. I don't, you know, I got I got this cheap diffusion cloth that I cut into pieces. There's two layers of them. So I don't know. I don't know what the the level I don't even know how to measure is. diffusion, uh, if but, we're being but honest. But it's two two things of of cloth that are between them. And that's, you know, and so, yeah. Typically stops of light. Chris says diffusion. seven. Seven, it's it's a seven. I, I I actually don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> it looks it, it looks to me like it's about a seven. There you go. There we go. Could be a six, probably seven. Yeah. There you go. I don't know. I don't know what what unit that is, but it's it's you know you know thirty seven thirty whatever unit. it takes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. That was good. That was good. That was a good hour. Uh, good first hour. Great questions. Great answers. Great second hour. So it was good. Good day. And uh, and thanks so much to the producers. Uh, this is uh, really great. We cut through a lot of great questions today so it was, it was fantastic really well done for the producers and thanks to the panelists for w being willing to show us uh what they're what they're doing there and show us how it's all coming together and what they're working on uh, we can't do this without you and of course thanks to the great team that makes all of this possible uh the development team the management team the the production teams there's a lot of people that put this together every single day and we really appreciate your uh, your contribution all right let's go ahead and jump into after hours 69,000 miles. 112,000 kilometers. I'm really angry about that sound lab off the app. 632 million bananas. bananas. Not to mention the PSVR 2 is pretty awesome. It's right there. That was what I wanted to ask about. That 120 frames a second. I 4K per eye, yes. Oh, never see those fancy lights on camera, Jason. PS... Wait, it's the it's the PlayStation, and it is it standalone, or do you need a PlayStation for it? I wish, Alex. I wish. No, you gotta got have the PlayStation. All right, all right. Does it have Parappa the Rapper on it? It's about to. 